Hi, folks. I uh, hope you're enjoying the holiday season. Last week, we uh, introduced you to the 2X campaign, which is a campaign that allows us to have matching funds for everything that is contributed online up to $36,000. And so we encourage folks to really consider making a year-end contribution. So far, we've collected $5,200, which translates to $10,400, which is good. But we've still got a lot of ground to make up, especially in light of the fact that, and this is the good news, the maximum has now been increased from $36,000 up to $66,000. More people have come forward and said that they would give matching funds. So we again want to ask you to seriously consider being a part of this 2X campaign. By giving to the 2X campaign, it allows us to continue the online ministries that we're doing. For example, we have the bridge that a lot of people are participating in. We have a Facebook page. A lot of our ministries are now using uh, uh, YouTube and Vimeo. And of course, we want to continue to offer our sermons in audio and video form online for free so that as many people as possible can have access to those. We're also looking at uh, going into some new areas. For example, we would love to be able to offer our Q&A sessions that Paul and Eddie and I do and offer those uh, in real time to the world. We think that would really be a, a blessing to the kingdom. So please consider giving to the 2X campaign. Everything you give now up to $66,000 up until December 28th uh, will be matched. God bless you. Uh, thanks for participating in this ministry. And have a very Merry Christmas. Excellent. Merry Christmas, y'all. It's good to see you all. Hey, um, uh, we didn't announce the Christmas uh, Day services, did we? We did. Uh, that's the three and five, right? Three and five. Three and five Christmas. Family friendly. Family friendly. No kids. No, no, they can come in here. Yes, the kids, kids are included. Yeah, we like all, right, all right, good. All right. Okay, so uh, make a point of, of being a part of that. We'll do some uh, uh, singing and uh, reflecting on um, some of the Christmas carols and the Okomokami manual and things of that sort. Um, sorry, I had to last week speak to you via the video camera thing. I, I made it through Saturday night, and I thought I was on the upswing from a couple days of crud, but it turns out the crud was just getting warmed up. So Sunday and Monday and Tuesday were really cruddy, uh, and I did it for your sakes. I stayed away because I didn't want you to catch it. Uh, but uh, thanks for the technology and stuff. I actually had one person who came here and said that they didn't even know that I wasn't here in person because they're always watching the screen. So why am I even here? I mean, come on, really. I should just do Saturdays and let it go at that. But anyways, it's, it, it's uh, good to be here. I hope you're all enjoying the uh, ho holiday season. One of the greatest uh, Christmas tales of all time was uh, Dickens' The Christmas Carol. And the sermon is a little bit along those lines, so I want to entitle this message, The Ghost of Christmas. The Ghost of Christmas, Past, Present, and Future. And I'd like to take as sort of the launching point of this Christmas reflection, uh, the book of Luke, of course. And uh, this is an episode that happens shortly after the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph go to the temple and dedicate Jesus to the Lord and get him circumcised as the law required. And in the process of doing that, they meet this guy that otherwise we know nothing about. His name is Simeon. He's an old, devout man. And the text says this, starting in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Notice that phrase. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the one who's going to fulfill all the hopes and dreams and promises of Israel. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm good to go, he's saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Pray with me here for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person who's in this auditorium. And I thank you for every person that maybe is listening through podcasts or television or some other way. And our, my prayer, God, is just that you will open up our hearts and minds, our eyes and ears to receive your word, that you would be our consolation. And God, that you would just drive home the Christmas message in a way that more profoundly impacts us than ever before. Help us to stay present to your presence as we listen to your word in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. This prayer here really taps into a theme that you find, especially in Luke's gospel, around the Christmas narrative, Luke 1 and 2. And the theme is that when Jesus comes into the world, he reaches back into the past and brings healing and forgiveness and consolation, and he impacts the present and thereby affects the future. It's a theme that runs throughout uh, Luke's narrative. In the prayer here of Simeon, you see it in a variety of ways. He thanks the Lord that now he has seen the consolation of Israel. And that term is just so steeped in history. It taps into the often sad and tragic, disobedient, sinful history of Israel. And this Christ child, the Messiah, the hope for one, is now going to bring healing and forgiveness and restoration to his people. And so Christ comes into this world and he impacts the past of Israel. He also impacts the present, which is why Simeon can say, I'm good to go now. I, I, I have seen what I was looking for. The longing of Israel has been fulfilled, and so he's willing now to go. And throughout Jesus' life, he's impacting Israel and the world in the present. And in doing that, of course, he's changing the future. He's giving Israel here the, the, the hope-for glory of Israel, Simeon, Simeon prays, that in Christ, the future of Israel will now be different. But it's not just about Israel. In the course of praying here, Simeon uh, notes that uh, this was done before all nations and for all nations, and Christ came also to be a revelation to the Gentiles. In fact, one of the themes that you find in the Bible is that Israel was there for the rest of the world. Some people think that when Israel's called a chosen nation, it means that God just likes the Jews better than everybody else. But, but the concept really is this. God chose them for a specific vocation, and the vocation was to reach the world. And uh, they were to model for the world something about what God is like and something about what God's will for human beings uh, is to be, which is what the church's job now is. But what happens to Israel is for the world. And so when Christ comes into the world and brings consolation to Israel's past, he's coming into the world to bring consolation for the whole history of humanity going back to Adam. And he comes to bring healing and forgiveness and, and to fulfill all that was missing in the history of the human race. And he impacts in the present the human race and he changes the future of the human race. In fact, one of the most profound verses in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 
where Paul really hits on this theme about how Christ brings together the past, present, and future. It says this, starting in verse 8. He says, With all wisdom and understanding, God had made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed from the foundation of the world. He purposed this in Christ Jesus. To be put into effect or to bring to consummation when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is a really dense theological point. Can't unpack it all here. But what Paul is basically saying here is this. Somehow, in some way, God, in sending Jesus into the world, he's bringing together the past, present, and future with the goal that someday all things... All things throughout history will be brought under one head and rectified under one head and integrated under one head, and the head is Jesus Christ. And Christ brings the forgiveness and the restoration and the peace to the past, impacting the present and fulfilling the future, where all things, good, bad, and the ugly, are brought together and woven together under Christ so that all of history, somehow, some way, will ultimately be this trophy to God's wisdom and understanding and grace. He finds a way to bring good out of evil and weaves everything together. And Jesus begins that process with Israel and therefore begins that process with the whole human race. Which is exactly what he wants to do with each one of us individually. What applies to Israel applies to us individually. When we open up our lives and let the Christ child be born in the manger of our heart, he begins a process of salvation. The concept of salvation in the Bible is not about just getting out of hell. It's about bringing God's wholeness and God's life into our life. And he does that by going back into the past and bringing forgiveness to the past and healing to the past. He is our consolation, individually just as he is for Israel and just as he is for the entire human race. He restores all that was undone, fulfills it, and in changing and and restoring the past, he impacts the present, which affects our future. Christmas has been from the start. It's one of the most neglected themes, I think, in our our retelling of the story. But from the start, Jesus has been, in a very real sense, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. He comes and redeems the past, redeems the present, and therefore promises redemption for the future. He brings it all together. Which means Christmas time is a perfect time to ask the question, are we letting Christ do that for us? Are we opening up our past, every aspect of the past, the wounds, the sins, the failings, and the good times, and inviting him into our past? Are we opening up our present? Are we letting him affect our future? Because Christmas is all about that. This is why I think the most profound Christmas tale ever told, other than the one in the Bible, is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Because he brings these three things together. Something about the Christmas time does that anyways. Have you noticed that? It's during this time for many of us, I find this to be true, I'm, I more acutely experience the past than I usually do. And it impacts my present and I reflect on the future. For example, uh, whenever I hear uh, Bing Crosby's A White Christmas, I immediately can smell my, grandfather, my grandfather's cigar. And it's a good smell. A lot of people think, oh, cigar smoke, ew, terrible. But I like it. Because it reminds me of, of my, 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 my grandpa. He was there every Christmas Eve. And we'd always play, you know, these old, you know, classics. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And, and there'd always be that smell there. And I just associate it with joyful stuff. 
and I'm there again. I don't just know that it happened. I'm re-experiencing it. And when they sing the chipmunk song, the Christmas carol, Elvin wants a hula hoop. I, you know, it's, I'm there again. I, I, I'm in Lansing, Michigan. I'm five or six years old, and I'm playing that record, driving everyone crazy because I played it over and over and over again. I just loved it. I just loved it, and I, I re-experienced that. That's part of the poignancy of Christmas. We just experience these things deeply. Or best of all, when I hear Mr. Magoo sing, hand for a hand was made for the world. Why don't my fingers reach? A lot of people don't know that one, but oh, it's the best one ever. And when I hear it, I'm there. I'm a little kid again. And even if you can't like picture it, you can feel the emotions of childhood. It's what makes Christmas this, this poignant time. It makes us notice the present in some ways differently because it marks the passage of time. Uh, last week I was up, uh, my wife and I were uh, up with my daughter and, and grandchild. And my, my grandson is now almost four years old. Uh, you old, <laughs> you old. And I remember my fourth Christmas very vividly. Again, in Lansing, Michigan, I remember it. I, I can re-experience that. I, I remember it because I, it was the first Christmas that I was miserable during. Uh, because I didn't get my red airplane. I wanted a red airplane. I asked Santa for a red airplane. I didn't get the red airplane. What's wrong with this? I was a spoiled little brat. But I remember that. And it's just weird. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Weird to look at your grandson and realize that you remember that age and Christmas at that age. And that's two generations ago now. Ah, two generations. 48 years, 1962. I, I, I was experiencing that. But I can enter it like it was yesterday, and here I have a grandson that age. And it just makes you profoundly aware of the passage of time and how quickly it has gone. I can't believe it. 48 years ago, I had that memory. Which then kind of leads to some reflections about the future. Like, if this 48 has gone this fast, how many Christmases do I have left? <laughs> you know? uh, and it makes you more aware of the present, you know, to hold on to it and cherish it because it's going so fast. And you think about, you know, where will your grandkids be? And you think about, you know, uh, where your children will be. And maybe sometimes Christmas impacts you to think about the ultimate future. Just this morning, I was in devotions, just listening to this choir singing a cappella. It was beautiful. And I just got a picture of a Christmas coming when all of the yuck of the world will be gone. And it made me start to cry. And there's something, this is what makes this a sentimental time of year. It's also what makes it painful for a lot of people because some of those memories ain't that pleasant. And you acutely experience the loss or the tragedy or the harm or the wounds uh, that went on. Christmas brings this together, past, present, and future, which is why Dickens' tale, I think, is such a profound tale. Because Scrooge here, bring through the ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future, is given the opportunity to now integrate, to bring under one head all those things. That's what Christ wants to do with us, to integrate it, to make us whole beings. The best version of the tale ever told, I think, is Mr. Magoo's 1962 version. Uh, and so I want to show you a little clip of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. And this is when he, he confronts the ghost of Christmas past and goes back and re-experiences a part of his childhood. Watch this. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mayfield. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mrs. Doolittle. Come. These are but shadows of things that have been. They are not conscious of us. Thank you. 
saw this child? The, the, the child is, is young Ebenezer Scrooge. You see, he is left here all alone. Nobody wants him. Poor lad. Oh, poor lonely child. Poor lonely child. When you're alone, alone in the world, when you're alone in the world, blown the way leaves get blown in the world, swirl the way leaves get swirled. Listen into your heels when you walk, making a For each hand was planned for the world. Why don't my fingers reach? Millions of grains of sand in the world. Why such a lonely beach? Where is a voice to answer mine back? Where are two shoes that click to my clack? I'm all alone in the world. Come. Isn't that tender? <laughs> you see, I'm there again. I have no idea, by the way, why the ghost of Christmas past has a Pentecostal fire on his head. I, I don't know what that was about. But it's just profound. Uh, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge goes back there and in some ways starts to console the little boy. And he's singing the same song because, in fact, it's still the little boy singing that song inside of him. It's just a profound, profound tale, bringing the past, present, and future together. Consoling the past to impact the present to change the future. One of the best things about the film is that it, it, or the, the tale is that it presupposes that the future is changeable. Uh, my favorite line is when uh, Ebenezer Scrooge asked the ghost, the scary, scary ghost of Christmas future, tell me, specter, tell me, ghost, are these shadows of things that will be or merely things that may be? And those of you who know my theology will know why I like that <laughs> line so much. Because the tale... Uh, it shows that there's room to change. We're not fated to live out our past. But at the same time, it shows us why we need to go back to the past if we're going to have a different present and therefore a different future. Ask the question, why did Ebenezer Scrooge need to go back there? Why wouldn't it be enough for Marley, Jacob Marley, to show up? 
He's scary. And go, Ebenezer Scrooge, if you don't change your ways, you're going to end up in chains like me. You know, why wouldn't that be enough? Why did he have to go back to the past and then go into the future? And the answer is this. That who we are in the present is to a large degree a working out of who we were in the past. And to change who you are in the present and thereby change your future, you have to adjust the past, bring healing to the past, bring forgiveness to the past, bring consolation to the past. And so Scrooge is given the opportunity here to go back. And he re-experiences some of his stuff from childhood. He doesn't want to. He resists this. But he needs to if he's going to change and be saved. There re-experiences how he was abandoned as a child and how his father blamed him for the death of his mother during the process of childbirth. And he was put in a boarding school and had very little relationships with his father or with anybody and spent so many Christmases alone. He grew up as a virtual uh, impoverished orphan, which is why he made a vow that he would never be poor again. It was a way of protecting himself. He even at one point said no to love, bypassed love and bypassed the possibility of a family because it would get in the way of his pursuit of riches. And now here he is, an old miser in a prison of his own making, but he doesn't even recognize it as a prison because he's so used to it and he's completely out of touch with the motivation that led him down this track. By going back and kind of re-experiencing the past and bringing consolation to the past, he's able to understand how he got off track. What he was looking for was not wealth, really, or security, really. He was looking for love. He's always been looking for love, just like the rest of us. But like so many people, he was trying to fill the vacuum and the fear of pain with stuff, with things. To be set free, he needed to go back and understand that and bring healing to that. And so it is for each one of us. Jesus wants to come into our life and be the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. For us to change requires that we invite him into every area of our life and let him begin the process of bringing it under his lordship. It means opening up the darkest crevices of our life, the the worst memories, the things that have been done, and let him bring his healing and let him bring his comfort. Let him bring his forgiveness so we don't live our life in regret. We don't live our life living out our woundedness. To change the direction of our future, we have to be impacting the present, and that requires going back to our past and letting Christ go in there and begin to integrate it. We become whole beings. So many of us are to some degree fragmented, which means we've got parts of ourselves that just aren't brought under the headship of Christ. We've got this thing we don't want to think about. We've got this wound that we'd rather just ignore. We've got this sin we committed that we've never really come to grips with. And Jesus says, no, I want you to make you an integrated, shalom type of person by bringing it all together. But we've got to let him. Jesus is a lover, not a bulldozer. We have to invite him in. As Mary said, let it be unto me as you will. We have to say that and let the Lord not just into our heart, but into our memories and into the past. When we don't do that, we get stuck. When we don't do that, because we dismiss it as unimportant, we dismiss it as psychobabble, or, you know, it's just too hard to bring up those old memories. When we, when we live like that, we stay the same. Our present will be, to, the, to a large degree, simply a, a working out of our past, as will our future be. We're stuck. And you can make vows every New Year's Eve, I'm going to be different, next year's going to be different, this time next year I'm going to be a different kind of person, but you wonder why your life is a broken record Because you're not doing what Dickens saw needs to be done, and that is to integrate the past with the present to change the future. 
One of the most stuck people I have ever met, the greatest screwdriver I ever met. I learned a lot from her, this, 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 this old lady. Uh, I was uh, about 18 or 19 years old, and I was working for this organization that would deliver, uh, I was a volunteer at this organization that would deliver food and a little Christmas present to shut-ins, elderly people, who had no one uh, that they could uh, spend Christmas with. And they would tell us, they'd give us like three packages to deliver on Christmas Eve and tell us to spend a little bit of time visiting with people. But I got one package where they told me, they said, don't, don't even try to really visit with her because uh, she is a mean and ornery and nasty lady and she doesn't like you and you certainly aren't going to like her. Just give her the, the package, say Merry Christmas and be on your way. So I go to this lady's house and I'm a little bit fearful because they painted such a scary picture about her. And when she opens up the door, I understood why. Because she was, some people age wonderfully and beautifully. She didn't. Uh, and, and it wasn't because of wrinkles or anything. It was because there was frozen on her face this scowl, this, this nasty scowl. It was, it, was, it was scary. Now, to my surprise, she invited me in. I gave her the package and said, Merry Christmas. She goes, would you like to come in? So I went in. And we opened up some chocolates and made some small talk. And then I noticed on the wall this picture of this stunningly beautiful lady. It was one of these 1920 pictures. And in my opinion, most 1920 pictures aren't stunningly beautiful. People didn't smile back then. What was wrong with them? I don't know. But th this one, she was just radiant. It was beautiful. And so I said, whoa, who, who, who's this a picture of? And I tried not to act too shocked when she said, why, that's me. Because I wanted to say, good Lord, lady, What happened? <laughs> What, 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 what? But I did get really curious, and so I, I just said, uh, you know, asked some questions about uh, her when she was young. And it turns out she was uh, voted Snow Queen or won some beauty pageant for Miss Stillwater or Miss Anoka or one of those in 1922 or something. And, and this was, picture was taken as part of that. She was just beautiful and, and won this pageant. And then I asked her if she had had a family and gotten married and things like that. And she, because I'm pretty nosy, and, and she said, no, no, she never had. Which really surprised me. I go, it certainly wasn't a lack of opportunities. Why? And she said, um, she told me this story. It was one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. She could have had any bow in the county, she said. But she chose this man who was handsome and, and athletic and successful. And this happened about a year after this picture was taken. They were to be married. And three days before the wedding, he ran off with her sister. And her heart was broken, but worse than that, her pride was wounded. How dare he walk out on me and humiliate me in front of the whole county. And as she began to tell the story, the wrinkles, already scary wrinkles in her face grew intense. She began to relive it. And she told me how over the years, this happened 55 years ago when I was visiting her now and it was 1977 or so, uh, and she said how over the years her sister and ex-fiancé tried to reconcile, tried to make amends, but she wouldn't give them the honor of that. She wouldn't return a letter or return a call. She never spoke to them again. Even when they died, people tried to get her to go to the funeral, but she would not go to the funeral. And in time, she was so consumed with her bitterness that she would not only not talk to them, but she wouldn't talk to anyone who would talk to them. And as she's telling me this, there's a sense of pride in her, like she's bragging about this, like she won or something. I wouldn't give them the honor. 
And so she ends up alienating herself from everybody. And now here she is, like Scrooge, an unrepentant Scrooge, alone in her room on Christmas Eve. And so far as I know, no one even knows she exists except for this charity organization. She thinks it's a victory. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have said something like, lady, lady, you need to invite Jesus into that wound. You need to go back to that memory and and invite Jesus into that memory. I would have said, lady, you know, imagine if you can Jesus on the altar and, and he's saying to you as you come down in a wedding gown, he wants to be your bride. And while earthly men may leave you and reject you and abandon you or abuse you, Jesus Christ, he'll be your lover now and for forever. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll put you in his arms. He'll comfort you. He'll shower you with love. You, 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 you ravish his heart. He'll be your lover forever. And he can fulfill the longings of your heart like no earthly man ever can. Invite him back into that memory. And even though you're up in years, it's not too late. Your future isn't faded. You don't have to keep on living out what's been done in the past. Your life doesn't have to be this broken record. He can begin to restore you and redeem you and reconcile you and, and, and begin to make you a whole human being who can live again. And if you let him just pour his love on you, soak up his love, you won't need any longer to be hanging on to that pathetic pride of yours. It will empower you to let go of the bitterness and let go of the unforgiveness. Bring consolation. Jesus will be your consolation. And though you've had 55 years, I don't know how he'll do it, but though you've had 55 years of bitterness, really 55 years flushed down the toilet, God is so great that if you'll just invite him into this, he'll somehow bring good out of it. He'll somehow redeem it. He'll somehow restore it. Somehow, some way. 55 years of hatred is not greater than the love of God. God's love is greater than 55 years of hatred. God's love is greater than 55 million years of hatred if you'll invite him in on it. And somehow, some way, he'll make your life, even now, with all those wasted years, he'll make it a trophy displaying his beauty and his grace and his power and his love. What I'd say to her if I had to do it over again is, lady, invite Jesus Christ into your past and let him bring consolation to your past and forgiveness and healing to your past. How important it is that we open up every area of our life now, let me show you a, 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 a counterexample of this. Someone who would have every reason in the world, logically speaking, to remain bitter, but refuse to do that. Uh, I've shared before that uh, I and my small group lead a Bible study at an apartment complex for people who are homeless and have mental disabilities. Uh, we, we do that once a month. Well, we held a Christmas party this last week. And we just went there and played some songs and, and uh, things like that. And Claude, who kind of heads up this at his apartment complex, he lives there. He's a volunteer here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, he, he, he plays along with us uh, as we sing some songs. And he, then he gave a testimony very spontaneously because everything we do there is very spontaneous. And so he gave a spontaneous testimony. And I want to show you a little clip of this testimony. When he says, by the way, when he says medical institution, he means mental institution. So listen to this uh, testimony. I want to I wanna tell you a little story about myself when I was a child. When I was a child, I never ha- had a childhood like these kids have nowadays. You know, I was locked up for 20-some years in a medical institution. And that's why I had my Christmas, was in an institution like that. It's no fun to be in a place like that because when God came to my life and changed my life, 
this is where I started my ministry even was in the medical institution where I was. I was in there for 20 some years I sat in there. And my mother did not want me. She had me signed as metal retarded. That I'm supposed to be even metal retarded, but I was pretty neat, I like that. You know, I, I'm able to play a keyboard, I'm able to play an organ, I play a guitar, I preach. Uh, I, I, I do a lot of things that a middle retarded person is not supposed to do, I think, don't you? You know, but you know what, though, let me tell you something. Something came good on the whole 20-some years. I learned a childhood that I would never want to see a child go through. Right. I would never want to see him locked in a medical institution. I never want to see him locked up in a place. For 27 years, uh, put in a mental institution, his mother put him there. It turned out early on, eight or nine years old, that he wasn't uh, nearly in the condition that his mother had thought. But his mother wouldn't let him out, and she had to give the, uh, the approval for this because that would mean admitting a mistake. And so for 27 years, he was in a mental institution. Um, when he got out, he spent 15 years on the streets. He was a homeless person until these apartments opened up and he got these apartments. And that could give a person a reason to be resentful, having lost all your childhood and younger years to an institution. But somehow, Claude found Jesus Christ in that mental institution and began a ministry right there in the mental institution. And though he'd have a lot we could understand to be resentful for, I've never heard him once complain about that. I've never heard him once be resentful for that. I've never heard him express regret over that. Rather, he just glorifies God with the way this has now empowered him to reach other people. He goes on for some time here in, in this testimony. He talks about how because of the, his being institutionalized, he's able to relate to people with mental challenges that other people can't relate to. And he's able to go to places where people are recovering from addictions and he has these various ministries and, and he makes a joyful noise unto the Lord with his instruments and, and he just has got a life that testifies to the way Jesus Christ brings consolation to the past. However, however negative it may be, God is able in his wisdom and love to turn it into a positive. And God, Jesus Christ has brought consolation to Claude and is continuing to bring, bring consolation to Claude and will be bringing consolation to Claude throughout eternity. The challenge is for us to open up our life to him and let him come in. So I close with three summary words here. Number one, this Christmas I want to implore you to surrender your past to Jesus. The good stuff he'll make richer, but the wounded stuff he brings healing to, the sin stuff he brings forgiveness to. And I encourage you to very vividly go back there. It, it, it's scary sometimes, it's painful sometimes, but to go back there and just ask the Holy Spirit to invite Jesus Christ into this memory and watch how he reframes it. Just as he does with Israel and just as he does with the whole human race, so he'll do with each of us individually if we'll allow him. It can be big stuff or it can be little stuff. Just let the Holy Spirit do his work. Uh, this last week, uh, this is a minor example of it, but I, I do most of my devotions in bed and I just sort of there, am there and I stay present to God and then I just, uh, however he wants to work, I let him work. And um, I all of a sudden remembered a, a Christmas, and I've shared this before, a Christmas in, in seventh grade where um, I, I got for, for Christmas, this was the last Christmas that my family was together after this, they, everything blew sky high and the divorce and everyone went their own way. But this was our last time together, and I got this big cymbal, because I was learning how to play drums, I had just joined a, a really lousy rock band, but I needed a big cymbal, because all I had was this bent up 12 inch thing. So I got the cymbal, I'm so excited, oh thank you, thank you, thank you, you know how kids get. A little bit later, my stepmother is there, and she's in a pretty bad place at this point in her life, and she was 
uh, a Scrooge whenever happiness was happening anyways. And so she's sitting next to me and she goes, you really like that symbol? I go, oh, thank you so much. I love this symbol. I love this what I've always wanted. Yada, yada. And she says, you really needed that symbol, didn't you? And I go, oh, yes, I did. You can't be in a band and, and have a 12-inch symbol. This is what I really needed. And she goes, in a world where there's starving kids, some kids don't have clothes, some kids don't have a roof over their heads, you really needed that symbol. And um, yeah, I was like, whoa, now I feel great about the symbol. And I, I said to her, you can have it back if you want. I mean, why'd you give it to me? And then she got mad and, and, and hit me. Now, I just remembered that. And then I, I see Jesus in this memory, and he just comes alongside of her and, and puts his arm around her, and I know what he's going to do. This has been a regular thing with us. And he says, your, your, your mom was really hurting at this time, so we can forgive her for this. I, I go, yeah. And then he goes, go downstairs and bang the heck out of that symbol. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> you know? And see, in a little way, that, that's a healing moment. It, it, that was part of a pattern why I've always had a little bit of trouble enjoying anything that somebody else doesn't have. It's like, I, 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 if the world's not fair, I, I'm not supposed to enjoy this. And that, you can't live that way. When we invite Jesus into our, our memories, 3D, run a virtual reality, watch the wonderful, beautiful, healing, forgiving work that he does. And it helps make us whole. He's bringing together under one head every aspect of our being, just as he does with Israel and the human race. And this Christmas, I encourage you to invite your present, I mean, to surrender your present to Jesus. The present is always every present moment, which means moment by moment, learn to walk with an awareness of Jesus' presence there and surrender to him. See your loved one through the eyes of Jesus. Don't walk, look through your loved ones. Look at them and appreciate them and pour la lavish love on them in a ridiculous way and be grateful for them. And notice the beauty that is there and cherish every now because it's the only thing that's real. And it goes so very, very, very quickly. Stay awake to God's presence and to those around you during this Christmas season. Surrender to him your present and then surrender to him your future. This Christmas, like almost every Christmas, there's so much in this world that can make you cynical and negative and pessimistic and miserable. I encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ who promises that in the end, love will conquer all, who promises that the creation will someday be the creation that he wanted. He promises to rid the world of evil. Keep your eye fixed on the one who will be the glory of Israel and the glory of humanity and will make all things right. It allows us and empowers us to go on with a sense of optimism and joy in the face of the magnificent evil that is around us all the time. And surrender to him your individual futures too. Many of us here, listening to this message, are, are, are wondering about the future of our house or the future of our health, perhaps, or the future of a relationship that's really rocky right now, or the future of our finances, I encourage you to surrender those up to Jesus. Let him be the ghost of the future. And watch how he brings wisdom to you about those situations and watch how he brings a peace that passes understanding about the situations. You may not know what you're going to do, but I promise you, if you'll invite Jesus on the inside of that, let him be birthed into your, 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 your thinking about the future, he brings a peace that's not conditioned on the outcome of anything. It's just a peace that passes understanding. Jesus is our ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, bringing together all things under his lordship, bringing together all things under his love. Will we let him do that? 
As I close in prayer, I want you to know that the altar will be open. Uh, if you have any need whatsoever you'd like to pray for, um, come forward and join with these folks in prayer. I close with this. Father, uh, there are many people listening to this message, God, who, who are thinking about the future, worried about the future, anxious about the future, maybe of the globe, maybe of the climate, maybe of government, I don't know, maybe of their own health because they've just gotten a bad health report or a relationship that looks like it's not going to survive. Or others are struggling because Christmas time is a time of where they remember acutely losses or wounds or failures. Jesus, will you come in? We open up our life to you, every aspect of our life to you, past, present, and future to you, and ask you to come and be birth. As Mary prayed, so we pray. Lord, let it be unto us according to your will. Bring your shalom, bring your wholeness into our lives to make us integrated, holistic people where every square inch is defined by your love. Give that peace that passes understanding to those who need it, the forgiveness that has no limit to those who need it, and the healing that perfects all things to those who need it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a very Merry Christmas. Go out and spread the kingdom. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of this podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you. And again, please consider making a year-end contribution to the 2X campaign. God bless you and have a Merry Christmas.